Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Detroit is Different, the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And I'm also welcoming back my guest, Michelle, one of my friends that's fighting for justice, for keeping people in their houses. Uh, It's a lot of talk right now going on about what's happening with people being over assessed on their taxes uh, for property. Mm -hmm. And keeping residents in homes is a hell of a fight here in Metro Detroit right now. Uh, especially when we're looking at the landscape changing in Metro Detroit so drastically, so fast. Uh, And before we get into the usual discussion, we're going to give a little bit of an overview of the work you're doing. So, Michelle, how you feeling? I feel all right. You know, I just told you I got in a car accident, but I'm still in the fight. (laughs) And, uh, you know, what am I what am I uh, up in? and healthy for is for this kind of work. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, So I work for United Community Housing Coalition. I lead tax foreclosure prevention. We have a team of of advocates that help people with property tax issues. And the reason why we have to focus our energy on property taxes of all things is that the way that our law is in the state of Michigan is that if you let your property taxes get behind, you can lose all of your equity. You could own that home. You could have paid a mortgage. It could have been your great-great-grandma's home, legacy property like this one that we're in. Mm -hmm. And you could lose it just for your property taxes, even if those taxes were over-assessed, even if you were entitled to exemptions, even if you made payments but not quite enough. You know, there's so many ways that people can fall through the cracks, and when you lose it, it's permanent. And uh, so it's a matter of justice. It's a matter of stability for individuals in the community at large that we uh, fight to have the rights of home ownership um, and make sure that people don't lose their home for lack of information. So, yeah, you're right. There's so much going on in the news right now. For people in, in my in my field, my colleagues and I, we get a little bit irritated like, yeah, we've been saying this. And I know so many people have been saying this for years. But on the other hand, we're glad and we're empowered when the the media starts paying attention, the politicians start paying attention. Now we have some numbers. We, we always knew there were over-assessments. We have some numbers now to put to it. And we have um, more and more people demanding answers and and some sense of justice in light of um, some of these uh, new stats that are coming out that really detail the egregious overassessments and things like that that have precipitated the foreclosure crisis. Yes, and when we think of that crisis that still exists in a city like Detroit, um, first let's look at instead of just the the usual angle. I wanna I wanna have you open up about. Um, what are the variables going into assess the taxable values of these properties? What what's making this property taxable at this rate and mm-hmm. for this much money? Uh, who's determining these factors? Uh, let, let let's answer that question. So, according to the state law. Every year, a property is assessed by a local assessor. So in the city of Detroit, we have a city assessor. Mm -hmm. And the assessment of the property should be equal to half of the market value. 
So if your house is worth $50,000, your SEV would be $25,000. Mm. Um, and this is done every year. And if you think you're over-assessed or under-assessed, you can challenge it in the board of review. So, you know, if you get your assessment, which is coming out in a week or two, mm -hmm. you get this thing with like size 8 font, and it will say board of review February 1st through 14th, or some tiny little window of time where you can actually let them know that maybe you don't agree. And a lot of people don't even know the assessment is half of the value. And it's not intuitive or anything like that. But it's, it's intended to tax you in accordance to the value. So if you have a mansion, uh, you have a higher assessment, you're paying more in taxes. If you own a little side lot, you have a small assessment, small tax bill. So it's meant to be proportional. And that's one of the ways that we fund our government. And just to give a, a small note of... Um, commiseration with our local government. The way that we fund our cities is is very um, harmful. Like the cities are underfunded, and so the state has not been doing revenue sharing with the cities. They're they're starving them out. Then we have these state laws that come down and say, but if you don't balance your budget, we'll take away your democratically elected officials, and we'll make you shut down your schools instead of funding them and filling the gaps. So they they kind of turn the cities against their own people, in my opinion. And so that is the setup under which we have a city facing financial hardship where the property values are plummeting. And if they were to lower the assessments in, in kind with the actual dropping of value, then they would essentially be cutting their revenue and budget even more. So we, we have kind of a conflict of interest now, right? And so what we saw is that whether because of understaffing or need for funding or desperation or, or malicious intent, whatever, the assessors in the city of Detroit were not accurately assessing the property value for many years. And um, the result of that is if you get assessment and you don't challenge it, you will get a bill in accordance with your assessed value. And if you don't pay that bill, which may be overinflated, now you're going to end up paying twice that much due to interest and fees and other things that accumulate on top of your already too big of a bill once it gets delinquent. And uh, so that is the cycle, that is the quicksand that people fall into uh, when they are overassessed, you know, and, and it's, we're still dealing with the consequences every year, all these years later. This year, 31,000 properties in uh, Detroit were noticed as being at risk of property tax foreclosure. Uh, and, and we can infer that many of those properties face foreclosure for taxes that are, are higher than they should have been. So these assessors that you speak of connected to the city, uh, is this all under the, the mayor's department? As I know, this is a very executive run and led uh, city. Or is this independent of the mayor's department? Who decides who the city assessor is and hires the people in this department and what? What's the checks and balances there? I actually don't think I know the answer to that. I don't think that they are elected. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that our current assessor, Alvin Horn, um, has been there a few years. And, and I think that he may be an appointee of Mayor Duggan, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that you know we hear about in, in some of these news stories coming out is that the assessor's office was totally understaffed and underfunded, which makes sense for a bankrupt city. So mm -hmm. that's why I try to give a little bit of like 
of buffer for consideration because how could Mm -hmm. it be adequately funded how could it be um you know and and even even this question of what is the true market value of a property if you have no market how can you know the market value Mm -hmm. for a while in detroit there wasn't really a traditional real estate market no mortgages are being given hardly in many neighborhoods it's all distressed sales cash sales foreclosure so and I, I just say that to say this is a genuinely difficult problem, but the solution that we have gone through is is to basically pit the government against the people, which is detrimental to all of us. And as you speak about that, I was received uh, a email today related to related to this topic uh, along those lines. It was another story from. I think this is Bridge, Michigan, mm-hmm. about um, about you know whites get half of the mortgages in Detroit, nation's largest majority black city. Yeah. Uh, in reference to this, and just the state of getting a mortgage in the city of Detroit after the quote unquote crisis, uh, your property value needs to be so high mm-hmm. that it already limits so many residents from even being considered for a mortgage so consider so non-traditional ways of lending um Mm -hmm. borrowing from family members um taking out personal loan like it's you know like your property may need to be worth if my understanding is right like over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. which for a property to be appraised like that in the city of detroit it's very this is a good point, and it's there's so much we could talk about. There's just every little angle, but a bank won't lift its finger on a loan or a mortgage for something less than forty thousand dollars, and you know they don't they don't do that. So you're absolutely right that where the property values have plummeted, it's very impossible to get financing. And, um, you know, the the interest rates are low, there's incentives, there's whatever, but it's not accessible to most people who need it. UCHC, the organization I work for, we helped uh, many hundreds of people purchase their homes last year. We do it every year. And the reason that we're able to do that is because no one else is really doing that. Who's giving a loan for four grand to buy a house? Nobody. And we would rather loan you that money we know you can afford it. We know it's cheaper than rent. It might be hard for you to pay it back, but not as hard as losing your home. But most entities, banks, they don't they don't lift their finger for that. It's not worth their effort. The regulations are burdensome. It's whatever. So they really only go through all of that if it's a high value house. Mm-hmm. And you're right that you know the segregation, the racism that's baked into a lot of the banking, the, the housing, historically and presently, yeah, it it still leads to that that comeback or that financing being offered mostly to to white people to affluent people i i love reveal uh the i really recommend the podcast reveal they do investigative journalism they have featured a lot of housing related issues detroit related issues and they do talk about you know these banks there's something called cdfis banks um in order to get certain tax breaks and and beneficial blah 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 they have to invest a certain amount of money in Mm -hmm underbanked cities so pittsburgh detroit cleveland all these communities get money sent to them by the banks and then the banks get some tax write-off or or something much much 
into that. And this goes right into the community development discussion exactly. that I had with Yusuf Shakur yesterday. Oh, and, cool. And studying yeah. this uh, the same way that uh, community uh, the community development block grants mm-hmm. go for go to uh, organizations like nonprofit organizations, uh, other organizations that can set up like a lending arm mm-hmm. can do this sort of, I guess, pseudo lending option for property or even for business. So like the Detroit Development Fund, uh, First Independence Bank, mm-hmm. many different partners throughout the city of Detroit have taken the CDFI yeah. funding. Yeah, yeah. Now how it's dispersed, especially yeah. like when I look at the DDF, you know, if you can get a loan from the DDF, you can get a loan from Bank of America. Right. If you look at, so spoiler alert for this reveal episode, what it's really doing is it's it's financing gentrification because they, they do it based on your zip code, not on the lender. They don't say, this is a lender who has to have lived in the zip code for five or 10 years. They just say, oh, this person wants to open a coffee shop and 48206, like, cool, you know? So anyway, that is that is one aspect of it. But I want to just break down a couple of things about the foreclosure crisis because there's so much going on. So we have the over-assessments, which really affects almost every property, which says, you know, if your property was over-assessed, then it was probably overtaxed. And especially if you had delinquent taxes, you have interest and fees on top of that. So that's one issue that's come out. There was already a lawsuit. The ACLU sued the city of Detroit f- due to the overassessments. They lost that lawsuit. Mm. It was thrown out of court by Judge Colombo, recognize that name. And he said, no, you had a mechanism to appeal your assessment. And there, if you didn't use that mechanism, then you're and not that, entitled to remedy. And the, it's a and bullshit that's that, argument. Uh, that's that like uh, six day period that you were it's speaking It's like of. a two week period. It's two-week not period. at all meant for chronic mass over assessment. It's not even really a very well functioning process because you have to apply in the February Board of Review and then you get asked to go to the March Board of Review. The people who were getting approved through much of these years were the people who hired lawyers. You know, I set up with Tricycle Collective, we set up a reassessment party and most people couldn't make it to the second board of review, even if they did the first, there's too many hoops to jump through. And so the argument that there was already a process in place was really false. And even if it was true, you know, just because I didn't complain when you committed a crime against me doesn't mean you didn't commit a crime against me. So, you know, I don't really think the burden should have been on the people to correct the overassessment. So anyway, that just to, so you know, there has already been a lawsuit, a failed effort on that. Doesn't mean that there won't ever be, um, you know, justice on the issue. Um, maybe there will be some political will in the city council, in the mayor's office, in the state legislature. But they seem to say like, let's keep our, you know, let's move forward, let's move forward type of thing. Another thing um, surrounding foreclosures that's been noted to be unjust is um, not just over assessments even if your house was cor- correctly assessed if you are a low-income homeowner in the state of Michigan you can get an exemption mm-hmm. and in most cities across the state this is basically impossible to get so um, and it was true in many years of Detroit too that you had to apply to apply and you know it was just super hard to get this thing so even though you were low income and you were entitled Uh, you may qualify, you weren't really getting access to it. To the credit of the city and the Board of Review, 
and Willie Downwell is is an incredible advocate, an incredible person, and he has led the Board of Review, and they do a very good job, better than any other city in Detroit um, in terms of giving access to this exemption. But it's not retroactive, and it's not everybody. There's still a lot of people who qualify that can't get it. It's not retroactive because the law doesn't allow it to be. So again, we have the state legislature kind of oblivious to the havoc that they're wrecking in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was also a lawsuit by the ACLU against the city of Detroit saying um, there are people who are being foreclosed upon for taxes they should not have had to pay. There was a settlement to that lawsuit. They didn't lose. They settled. Mm -hmm. The settlement did two things. It made this exemption much easier to get, and it really is a lot easier now. Last year, we had 7,500 applicants, which is way more than it used to be. Um, You know, look at Highland Park and Hamtramck, you probably had 10 apiece. So just to give you some context, this is really a lot of people who are getting access to this, not as many as who qualify, not retroactive, but it's still something. So they made it easier to get every year going forward. And they said, but what about the people that it's too late for? What about the people who are already getting foreclosed? So they use the program that UCHC runs. It's called Make It Home. And if you live in a foreclosed home, the city of Detroit will buy your house through its right of refusal to sell back to you, the resident, for less than the tax debt. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's our Make It Home program. We bought over 1,000 homes in this program in the past three years. Amazing. And it said, if you are a low-income owner, you can not only be in this program, you can get a bigger discount of only a $1,000 repurchase price. Hmm. So we have been utilizing that um, the past couple years. It is it's something, it's still not all the way fair. It's certainly not like everyone who is entitled is getting this now, you know. But uh, that's that's just something to know about. So if you're someone who's facing foreclosure and you have a low income, this is a way out of that debt. And it's also a recognition that it's not your fault. You weren't shirking your civic duty. You're not worthless. You know, it's actually that you were not being given access to something that you were entitled to, which I think is really important. And let's explore that a little bit as the... uh there's been like a series of different commercials that you'll see on TV with uh, with Eric Sabri speaking about the uh, another program for low income uh, homeowners. And I was looking at that program. Pay as you and, stay. Is that what you're talking about? Nah, it is. That may be it. But it's it's almost like uh, just the program for for being qualified as low income. Mm -hmm. And let's just explore that. Mm -hmm. What are the factors that usually qualify for low income? Because I know some of it deals with how many children you have and how much money you make. So this is actually more so a city than a county thing. So the city gets to pick how they implement the state law, which says every city has to have an exemption based on poverty. And so different cities will say, okay, a single person household has to make less than 15000 or 20000 So they pick a number. And yes, if you have more people in the home, the high, you can have a higher income and still qualify. The city of Detroit, the board of review is extremely humane and reasonable. So many people who apply for this are getting a fixed income. They get SSI, for example, or they get mm-hmm. SSD or Social Security pension. Um, We have also people who are employed, but they're not getting that much. We have people who are self-employed, and it's so hard if you're self-employed to get any 
programs because you don't have paperwork. We make the paperwork. We'll do a notarized statement. You could have your 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 mother helping you out with 300 bucks a month and we get a notarized statement from her and you can get approved just with that. So even if you're not documented in a traditional way, you can still get access to this. So that's to the credit of the City Board of Review um, that they are open-minded. They understand that people who are living with poverty level income might not have, you know, income tax filing and all like the the other type of paperwork um, that a more higher income person might might typically have. So I really appreciate them for that. Um, so today I told you I was in Lansing. In Lansing, they are considering passing another payment plan into law. And this would require coordination with the city and the county. The city gives an exemption based on low income or based on poverty. The county can cut your delinquent taxes if this law passes. It would be a game changer. I was at the show cause hearings last two weeks. We, Our little team of seven people saw over 700 homeowners. And most of them, if not all, their best option does not exist yet. We're waiting for this law to pass. And it would allow the treasurer to cut the debt in something that they kind of can't do right now because the law doesn't exist and they're kind of bound by what this state state law allows for them to do. But it would just be a corner of justice. And the, the tough thing about this is you always have to opt in. It's not like an inherent right. So mm-hmm. just like, oh, you can challenge your assessment, but it's not going to automatically be correct. You can get an exemption on your uh, taxes based on your income, but you have to apply. And and then you have to apply for the payment plan after you're approved, if the state law is passed. So there's always labor involved with making sure that the passageways that are available to people are open, um, you know, which is why I have a job and I stay busy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So... As I'm looking at uh, different things in the Wayne County website, so the the program I believe is it is the homeowners property tax assistance program. So that is HP TAP is the poverty tax exemption, and that is provided by the city of Detroit. It's on the Wayne County Treasurer website. Yep, they have a link to it. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Okay. And through the city of Detroit, <coughs> I'm guessing it's an assessment that they make up their own protocol that you're speaking of, of what low income is. Yes, they, they do. And this year they just announced that they are actually providing an even higher income bracket where you could still qualify for a partial exemption. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who say, like, I have no money left at the end of the month, but I don't qualify for anything because I'm not that low income. Yeah. So they feel like they're even being penalized for trying to get employment and try to get up out of poverty. And what this has done is it's actually expanded. You could make um, a higher income and still get at least a partial approval. Mm-hmm. And so it's not all or nothing. It's not binary. It's not um, in or out, which I, I think is really good. And you spoke to something about like what is legal, what's illegal and the state laws. Uh, But then that naturally leads us in logic to say that it's illegal to over assess people's taxes. Mm -hmm. So how do you what what becomes the penalty, the recourse, the consequence uh, and the retribution for people that have lost their homes? are being overtaxed uh, and just dealing with this. 
the law is clever and it says essentially if you didn't protest you know with the assessment during that time it's kind of like saying the statute of limitations is two weeks mm. you know it's really narrow and um once they give you that bill it's not can i can you pay should you pay it's how would you like to pay would that be cash or credit you know it's mm. like it they act as though it's it's a, a statement of fact so especially once those lawsuits have failed it really feels to me like the remedy is public opinion, um, advocacy, and, and working out solutions. But I, I do fear that there won't be true retribution, true uh, reconciliation on this. And, you know, one of the things that my brain goes to when I think about all the people who have lost their homes is the land bank. Okay, maybe you can't go back in time, but you do have a government entity that owns 90,000 properties. And right now, they do not give priority to Detroit residents over non. They do not give priority to someone who will live in the house versus someone who will be a, a landlord. Mm -hmm. They just, they they have the programs that they have. And uh, similarly to what you were saying about the banks, they will tend to uh, favor higher income people or white people or non-Detroit residents, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I wish that we could see a land bank saying, um, we choose to give priority over someone who has lived in Detroit. We choose to give priority over someone who that will live in wrong. this home. And we choose to get exactly. To, oh, you can prove that you are an owner of a foreclosed home, but you're going to get a 50% discount or you're going to jump the line. You know, we spent $20,000, Kari, to demolish a home. I bet that if you spent half of that, 10000 and you gave it to somebody and said, we'll give you $10,000 and you can own this home and fix it up, we would have homeowners and homes instead of demolition. And I'm not saying that every house can't, you know, can be saved. I know it's some salvageable. of them do need to be mm -hmm. demolished, but I want to be creative like that. And it's like, we're so afraid of admitting that we did anything wrong, that we don't get creative, even when it's in our best interest. You know, why not? That's where I want to start is with the land bank. Okay. And you, you just uh, definitely, uh, I don't know how the, how the phrase is. You definitely just went there. Let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. the, the cat's out the bag. I don't even know nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> That's the phrase to, to use. But you went there and went directly into the land bank and the land bank authority. which Who has that, dodged for some reason so much anyway. But that is kind of uh, working in unison uh, with with the tax assessors, the county and the, and the city. Um it kind of receives the benefit of, of so much. And in a community like especially my block, uh, you can be a prospector. You possibly could be a landlord. Uh, and it can be tragic. And right now, I guess maybe prospecting is not what it once was. Is uh, I've been seeing more efforts to say, okay, we want – Detroiters to stay in Detroit and yeah. we don't necessarily just want people from outside Detroit but what what has changed in reference to that as so much of the the housing stock due to this uh almost like um stock market worth of houses through the the land bank authority it has completely transitioned what home ownership looks like in the city of Detroit you know I want to say that 
even though we know factually that many properties were overassessed, I would argue that they're also undervalued. You know, we and I mean value not in like a monetary sense, but like Detroit has been through bankruptcy. It doesn't have the same capital as other communities in the if you just think about it in terms of Wall Street, like bankable idea. But if you look at it in terms of community, homeownership, homes, that is value. And we it seems like a lot of times government agencies they they undervalue what they have and they're more willing to demolish. They're un, they're not willing to to be creative about how to save it. And I think it's become more politically popular and common to to say, you know, of course we want you to stay and we want, you know, all that. But I still don't see them really willing to work with people. You know, the, people's lives are messy. They might not have all the paperwork. It might take them longer than you want it to to do it exactly in this way. But but what is the point? It's It's a home is meant to be for a person, you know. So if we only cherry pick and work with the people who are, you know, the highest credit rating or blah blah blah, then we're never going to really get to a place of um, a thriving community. And so, you know, I I think about this. We we talked about it before. You know, you say, well, it's not legal to go retroactively and change the 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 poverty exemption. Well, you could make it legal. You could change the law. All of this stuff is man made law from Lansing. Or, or Washington, D.C., or whatever. You know, we can change those things. We can also be creative. It's not like we have to completely recreate the wheel. You know, in the past, there were times when the government decided that it was in their best interest to give land to people. And a lot of the homesteading policies, you know, taking away indigenous lands and things like that, they have a terrible history. But it's a, it's a reminder that if the government wants to, sometimes they can... Uh, you know, provide benefits to residents. So if the government wanted to do um, a more just homesteading policy in Detroit, they could say, shoot, we own 90,000 properties. We don't really want to be responsible. It's too much for us to handle. And we're going to sell it to you for only a buck or whatever, if you will homestead, if you will live there. You know, they could they could try to take some of the policies from the past and make them right in that way. So I don't know. I, I like to see that. I'd like to see that. So these ideas that you that you offer, uh, what's the like thinking more creative and, and then what needs to change and how that needs to change? I know it's going to be the, the bureaucracy of what this looks like on paper, but in I guess in in actuality and reality, uh, some people are losing their homes still here at a rapid rate. So speak to that. Like what what does foreclosure look like in 2020? Right. So. Okay, great. Because when you get foreclosed, you lose all of your equity. It is so much more important to keep what you've got um, than to try to get it back when you've lost it. Well, I wouldn't say it's more important. It's much easier. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the truth is, you know, and I really credit people who are working on um, getting back what has been lost. Most of my efforts personally have been at making sure we're not losing you know, let's let's stem the flow. Let's let's build a dam to stop the foreclosure, because we know that you fall off a cliff uh, and you lose what you had, and it's so hard to come back from that. So, um, you know, I, I make this flyer. I actually have them. It says, "After the yellow bag, 
what do you do as a homeowner after you get that yellow bag in your door? And what we tell people is it's usually going to be a combination of dealing with your back taxes and dealing with the current taxes. The current taxes, you can get that exemption, that HP tap or the poverty exemption, whatever you want to call it, to lower your current taxes. And then with your back taxes, there's a low interest payment plan that you know is currently the best plan. A lot of people have fallen off of that. Um, we try to help people get back on. There's a little bit of money out there to help people do that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's expensive. Um, maybe there will be a new payment plan called Pay As You Stay. I told you about the Make It Home program. If you can't afford, if you already know you're not going to be able to afford the payment plan, then you're not going to get on it. You might actually let it get foreclosed so you can be in the Make It Home program and get it back for $1,000. Um, in, in my dreams, there's step forward money. We haven't talked about that yet, Kari, but I really want to. This is another this is another cat to let out of the bag. This is a beef that I have and have had for years. When Obama was president and the finances, you know, the market crashed. Remember the the car industry got bailed out, the banks got bailed out. Yeah. And there was also some money for homeowners. They called it the hardest hit funds and they set that money aside. And believe it or not, that money is still sitting there unspent even though thousands, tens of thousands of property owners have lost their homes. There was money there to save them, to put out that fire, and it hasn't even been spent. Every state got a pot of money. MISHTA, the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, is the agency in Michigan whose job is to spend that money out. And the program that they have is called Step Forward. They have made it so hard to get approved for Step Forward. It's like you need a a lawyer to help you apply. You know, you need to write this documentation, this case history. It's certainly not for the hardest hit. You have to have a steady income. You have to have all this paperwork and this and that. Most people are denied. Um, And so that money is still there, even though it's been 10 years. Um, So we, we do try to get people to access that money. Uh, even though it's hard to even know if it's a waste of our time, let alone our clients' time. Um, and and the other side of that is that when they couldn't spend that money on people because they were so judgmental and so um, unwilling to work with people, they have instead spent that money on demolitions. That is the way that we have funded demolitions in the city for years is using the money that was intended to stop foreclosure, stop the house from ever going vacant, um, and it costs about twice as much to demolish a home as it would to pay someone's back taxes. But this is the way that we spent that money. And it's so crucial. It teaches me personally a lot about why don't we have that program with the land bank to help people, you know, homestead or get the house if they'll live there, if they've been harmed in the past. It's easier to deal with contractors than individual people. So mm. the, the, the direction that I find that our government is moving is actually opposite of where I think that we should. We're looking toward, you know, the oligarchs, the big money, the, the big package deal, you know, the FCA, rather than a lot of small things. So that's my fear is that, oh, we're going to do a million dollar contract with this demolition company rather than uh, 200 homeowners getting their taxes relieved. You know, stuff like that is, is where we're heading because, you know, paperwork is hard. People are messy. You know, who do you know? The the people in those offices, they know the contractor. They know the, the banker. You know, they so they've cut the deals with those guys. So it's um, there's a need for us to, again, continue to be creative and say, wait, why does oh, the government owns all this? I wonder if we could apply for that. I wonder if we could get it. And we have to organize and kind of demand um, that they look into different ways of doing it. Um, 
I one of the things that I'm I'm ashamed of and sad about is that even though, you know, I try really hard to spread information, it's my job, it's my passion. I don't want to be a bottleneck. I don't need you to have to call me and me to answer my voicemail and da 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 just for you to get information. Mm-hmm. I would like there to be a much more interconnected platform. I want I want to start a Facebook group that's just called Yellow Bag Club and it's everything about foreclosure so we can share information instead of having it be, you know, only at certain resource locations yeah. or only, you know, for this or that because and in that way I think if we have those groups we can say, shoot, what should the land bank be doing or like what could we ask for and and start to build that that pushback, that counter narrative against, um, you know, the other types of programs that are out there. We don't have to wait for the news story to come out in the investigative journalism. You know, that's wonderful. It's valuable. But but this is stuff that people have been knowing for years. Now, as you speak about investigative journalism in the news story, one of the news stories that came across my way. And I have the exact name of this program now that I want to ask you about. Candace. Patterson. I went to high school with Candace. She was in the, the news. The Earth's Payment Plan. And yep, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about She's to ask. She's one of my clients. <laughs> okay, so I went to high school with Candace. Uh-huh. So when I saw her in the news, I was like, oh man, what's Candace in the newspaper for? Right. So you can speak a little bit more so to her situation, also being a mother um, and really finding so much, uh, I guess, pride and, and, and value in having that home in the city. Mm-hmm. So uh, not, well, she spoke in the news, but what's the ERSPA, what is the ERSPA program so, and, and what is the, what's the design of it? The ERSPA payment plan is currently the best payment plan that exists. Okay. So, you know, before this was out there, there was no way for you to cut your debt. So if you owe taxes from three years ago, they might have been $1,000. Now you owe $2,000 to pay that bill because it's subject to 18% interest and fees. So it's very hard to catch up. You pay on that. You're always one step away from foreclosure. The other plans that were out there, they didn't automatically take you out of foreclosure. So you may have heard these stories where someone says, I got on the plan. I paid four payments, but I missed my fifth one. I lost my home. You know, those horror stories we used to hear a lot more. And then the law passed in about 2015 to make the ERSPA payment plan. And what the plan does, it takes you out of foreclosure. It reduces the interest retroactively. So the moment you sign up for it, your debt actually goes down. And then it keeps it from growing as fast. So you can actually get up and get ahead. And it gives you five years to pay. In exchange, what you have to do is you have to pay every month. You won't get a bill or reminder. It's not like DTE. you got to remember to pay. And you have to keep current to the city of Detroit. So you're kind of juggling both. And if you have all the information and you know how to do it and if you can get your current year taxes exempted with the poverty exemption you can probably do it but there's a lot of lack of information and there's a lot of ways that people have screwed up um, and not gotten the exemption and this and that and the other thing so what we see is that a lot of people actually have fallen off this plan and or now they owe more than they did when they started they did lose their home but it was like kind of a, a a way for them to keep out of foreclosure but the debt is now higher than it was before and now it's like instead of $500 to get out of foreclosure it's 5000 you know it's really mm-hmm. tough so Candace was an example of someone who got on this plan yes it was the best plan out there and she wasn't able to to keep it up mm-hmm. and um, 
she, you know, as a result of that news story, a lot of people have reached out and want to assist her, which is great. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, there's a lot of other people out there in the same situation. And it is why we need this other law passed, the pay-as-you-stay, because anyone, even if you got kicked off that plan, that ERSPA plan like Candace did, could get on this plan. And it wouldn't just reduce the interest and give you time to pay. It would actually cut the debt. It would cut through this thing, you know, you, oh, I was over-assessed, I was eligible for the poverty exemption, all that stuff. It would, it would reconcile that. You know, so her debt wouldn't be sixteen thousand; it would be like one thousand, mm-hmm. and it would be beautiful. But uh, we don't know right now if if that will exist. Now, when you speak about this program, and and then it goes back into like, do you does your property need to be in foreclosure for any type of assistance? Because it's people that may be overassessed, people may be living low income but meeting their. No, you don't. Um, some some assistance is like that, like SCR. I was talking about DHS earlier. State emergency relief. You can get help for your property taxes, and it's you got to be Goldilocks. You know, you have to be in this perfect little weird scenario where your taxes are less than two thousand dollars and you're in foreclosure. So it's very few people that actually can qualify for that. But the exemptions that are out there, the pay as you stay plan, different things like that you could be just behind and not in foreclosure. In other words, you're not penalized for already taking action to solve your problem. You can still access those things. And who's deciding, like, who who's making the, the decisions as people fill this stuff out of who's eligible for any of these programs? Is it, like, an online the thing? The answer is different is to each thing. The, so step office? forward is MISHTA, and they have their crazy rules. For SER, it's DHS, and they have their crazy rules. Mm-hmm. Um, the pay-as-you-stay plan, really, right now, the decision-maker is our state senate. Um, and they don't all give a shit about Detroit property tax foreclosure. You mm-hmm. know, So it was interesting here to hear some of their opinions earlier. And it, it speaks to why some of the laws are the way they are, because we have to preemptively consider what so-and-so from Lenaway County is going to say and so-and-so from, you know, Pontiac is going to say like all these different senators and and representatives they don't want to be seen as giving handouts to Detroit you know so it is it's messy Hmm. which is why I say I'm so grateful when we do have like the board of review in Detroit that is really human really doing a good job so in this in this world uh that for that property owner uh taking this on um, probably like um, what would you say is is the best approach to to stay in balance because will Come they have to me. walk around uh, <laughs> with like a, a, a knowledge base every day of of what and how uh, as a as an owner myself um, and even you know with with my back taxes from the other year and you were like just pay what's back and I'm like man that's gonna be a lot of money and I did pay what's back uh contractor came through where i was able to handle business and cover it but it still was a it was a big bill you know uh and getting in that foreclosure role with that three years as the taxes are so they're so penalized yeah exactly you know the the interest rate is ridiculous yeah so I would tell somebody to come see me and my my coworkers at United Community Housing Coalition because hopefully what happens to you if you come see us is that you walk away with more knowledge than you had before, you know where to go to get help, and you have 
a step-by-step plan. You have options and you have a plan. So oftentimes I tell people, because we're waiting on this law to pass, we're waiting on this and that, and I say, here are the three possibilities and you know this is what it would look like. I'm gonna, you know, you can chew on it, you can think about it, and then here are the things that you're gonna do no matter what. And so I'm trying to give you something to hang on to and some stability and and to decode some of it. But ultimately at the end of the day, you shouldn't all have to be experts on tax foreclosure and property taxes. It's too complicated. So, you know, I talked to Senator Stephanie Chang about can we simplify some of this stuff? And there's also room in the nonprofit or in the banking sector to take away some of this burden for people. I want there to be a service where I can get an escrow for my property taxes, my home insurance, even though I don't have a mortgage. Like I said, banks don't want to mess with you if you have less than this $40,000. We need packages. We need services that are not predatory that will just handle it for you. Because right now you really can't pay your property taxes in advance. You don't know how big your bill is until you get it. How can you budget? You know, so we need systems like that. And we need to take away the crazy interest rate. You know, you could be a a selfish banker and charge 5% interest, which is pretty good. And you would still be saving a homeowner money relative to what they would pay. So there's win-wins in here for creative financial institutions and, and people who you know, want to take away that, like I say, the cliff of falling off into foreclosure for people. So um, I really want to see that so that we don't all have to be experts. You know, I'll be an expert over on this and you be an expert on that. We don't all need to be experts on property tax foreclosure. It shouldn't be this hard. Mm. Uh, And in that in that same space, uh, what what about the land bank authority? What's what's happening over there? Uh, are most of the properties still going to prospectors? Uh, I don't know. Is it still as predatory? The, what the positive, what changes have you seen? The positive thing I see at the land bank is the SILOT program. I think that is actually simple and accessible and affordable and being accessed by Detroit residents. So that's cool. I want to give them I thought credit you for need that. to not have any back taxes. Uh huh. Yeah. True. To be eligible yeah. to buy your lot for a hundred dollars. Yes. True. Um, so, but that's their best program in my opinion. Okay. Um, other than that, you know, they have the own it now program and they have their own little auction and they have demolitions. Um, I wish that we saw a little bit more bottom-up. I wish that we could say, hey, these are the properties we own in this neighborhood. Does anyone want this? What are the votes? Does anyone want this one demolished? What's the priority? And have it more community-informed. And does anyone want to live here? Oh, you're front of the line then. Okay, and and work through it that way. I don't really see that happening. So um, I get really excited when I meet people who are living in a house that they bought from the land bank. I want to believe that... Detroit residents are taking advantage of it. I want to believe that people are buying homes to live in them and try to rebuild our our base of home ownership. Um, but I don't know. I, I I would be interested to see the data to show where is that coming out. Hmm. Yeah. And in reference to demolition, and that's one of the key uh, provocative. Uh-huh. Uh, things about this whole Duggan administration Mm -hmm. Uh, because on one level it's many of my neighbors that are like yeah we're glad this place got torn down yeah 
And then on the other hand, it's like the process in which the contracting and the money spent for the demolition. And then also just the amount of residents that didn't even have any inclusion or say in this or right. the opportunity to work in demolition. Um, I'm, they're, they're demolishing or, a series of homes on my own block and just thinking about so many people that could have worked and been working in that or even salvage something i mean you're right there's so much about that's provocative my focus is usually on should it have been demolished in the first place and maybe most of them yes maybe or maybe all of them yes but i just don't really feel that i can trust the vetting process because i don't think there's a lot of community input you know sign a waiver and walk through the house, and maybe you're gonna you're gonna apply to uh, keep the furnace, the doors, the whatever. Can we not have to landfill everything? And what if you say, actually, I'd like to apply to buy this one and don't demolish it, and it goes down a different path, and we could incentivize you and even pay you to fix it up because you're gonna cost us less than if we demolished it. You know, what are the the other things ways that we could go about this, other than just you know, and I think that a lot of people have kind of eaten it up too. Like, thank God they finally demolished that thing. It was an eyesore for ten years. But what if there was another future or another fate other than foreclosure or other than demolition? And maybe this is naive to say because even an occupied house, if it's a hundred years old, it's going to take so much money to fix it up. Once it's demolished, now you have no furnace, no pipes, your electrical, your windows. Maybe it's not actually possible, but. How much is it going to cost to build a new house? You know, you might never build a new house. Maybe it would even be worth it to spend more. I want to see us use uh, our land bank properties for public affordable housing. You know, we don't have any housing uh, stock anymore that is uh, Section 8. You know, what if we do, you know, let's be creative like that. You could get federal money to pay for that. Mm. I don't know. There's a lot. Okay. Now... (sighs) With these ideas and these concepts, let's go right back to that person that feels over-assessed, is over-assessed. They, they looked at the Detroit News story, typed in their address, and they're mm-hmm. like, damn, it's 2010. I paid over $4,000 in taxes. What should they do? This is going to sound bad because um, I don't know how they can organize about the retroactive aspect. Um, I suppose they could just reach out to the authors of the article Bridging, you know, Bridge Magazine and things like that and possibly try to amass a list. They could start an organization or hashtag or something to say over assess Detroit, you know, try to get connected with others in that position. In terms of, you know, the the space that I operate in, I would say, okay, if you're over assessed, you can challenge your assessment. This is exactly the right time of year. It will only affect your 2020, but you can do it now. And, um, you know, if you have back taxes, then we got to try to get you eligible for the pay-as-you-stay. That's going to be the closest thing to retroactive that we have nowadays. So to challenge it, you need to be current with your taxes. No, 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 you do not. Okay. So you could could have a ton of back taxes, and all you're challenging is this year's assessment. So take an example of somebody. In a week from now, they get their assessment in the mail. You're going to see the Spirit of Detroit statue on the envelope. That's from the city assessor. And it says, this is not a bill. That's your assessment. Mm -hmm. You look at it and you look for the 2020 SEV. Whatever that number is, let's say it's 25,000. You multiply that number by two, 50,000. And you ask yourself, 
Is my house worth 50 grand? If the answer is hell no, it's worth more like 10 grand, that's your clue that you're over-assessed and you need to go to the Board of Review, which is in room 804 of the Coleman Young Building, and they have special times in February, but you could go now, you know, if you want to. Um, if you multiply that number by two and you say, actually, that's less than my house is worth, or that's about right, then you're not over-assessed. You may have been over-assessed in the past. You may have been eligible for the exemptions that you weren't getting, things like that. But your issue may be different. But someone who should challenge their assessment right now is someone who, when they multiply by two their SEV, the number is off base. And and I will say that for all of the over-assessments of the past, a lot of that has been significantly adjusted. However, the other news story that just came out is that Detroit assessments have gone out up about 20% this year. So the assessments that are about to come out are going to be higher, and there might be more and more people who say, whoa, 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 this is wrong. And so um, and the Detroit Justice Center has a spe- special program to assist people with challenging their assessments. Mm-hmm. Detroit Justice Center, um, they would love to help you. They have a grant specifically for this purpose. Wow. Good information. Mm -hmm. As always, thank you so much. I'm going to put the information, um, your information on the bottom of this for people to reach out to you. And we're going to keep talking a little bit more. I don't want to bring you back like every other year now. I think we need to keep this information in people's minds uh, Mm -hmm. and probably get a little bit more active about getting these stories out. I'm going to send you some info. There's going to be four upcoming events, one in Highland Park, three in Detroit, understanding your property taxes. It's going to be like a talk and interactive. So your individual okay. info, if you want help looking it up and you want to talk it out, that will be available at this event. Um, so I'll share that with you so you, you can post it. And then if anybody has back taxes, is a homeowner, has questions, just like really wants more info and wants to feel like this is not helpless, please, they should come to my office. We are at 2727 2nd Avenue. That's right uh, by Masonic Temple, Castec. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, you just show up, you walk in, you don't need an appointment, you don't need to call me in advance, just come. And the last Tuesday of the month, we have afternoon hours. So next Tuesday, the 28th is the afternoon, come on down, and uh, we'll, we'll assist you in any way we can. A lot of people say like, why am I even here? You know, what can you do for me? And I'm like, just sit, like, tell me later if you think this wasn't worth it, but I bet that it will be worth your time, and uh, we're very happy to help. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.